Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Today, we're doing something a little different. I have three players who have just played D&D Next for the first time, and we're going to hear their reactions. I'm your host and roundtable creator, James Intracasso. You can find me on Twitter, at James Intracasso. That's J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. With me today at the roundtable are some new voices. They are Andrew Kane. Hello. Andrew Timmes. Hey, everybody. And Ray Fallon. Hello, this is Ray Fallon. <laughs> uh, guys, why don't you give us a little bit of your gaming background and uh, tell us where you're from. Uh, Andrew Kane, we'll start with you. Uh, I guess I've been playing uh, D&D since high school. I uh, started, I think, in third edition, uh, had some fun in 3.5, and then just played a character uh, 1 through 30 in fourth ed, fourth ed and now experiencing uh, next. Fun fact, I've never experienced a D&D game without my good friend James, uh, who's <laughs> been my uh, lifelong gaming bro, whether as the DM or uh, uh, Roland Bones as a fellow uh, player. Andrew Timmes, tell us a little bit about where you're coming from and what your tabletop experience is. I've I've played a couple of different systems. Uh, Again, uh, as with Kaner, I mostly play with the chains. Uh, So I played a little bit of, I think we played a little bit of 3.5, I guess back in 2007-ish. And then we played Mutants and Mutants and Masterminds very, very briefly. And then it's basically been fourth ed up until the last couple of sessions of Next that we played. Ray Fallon, how about you? What's your gaming background like? Uh, I think I started with D&D sometime around 2002. Uh, that was second edition we played with. It was uh, not with James, which is, I guess, an aberration here. Uh, <laughs> but quickly after, I picked up third edition and played that for a few more years. And then after a long hiatus, uh, a couple of the gentlemen at this roundtable invited me to come back and play 4th Ed. And since then, we've gone uh, levels 1 through 30 twice in 4th Ed over the last five or six years. And that has been most of my experience. I also played a fair amount of uh, White Wolf, I think it was called, right? The, the, is that right? The Werewolf, Vampire, Mage, Hunter, oh, yeah. Changeling Games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I liked those a lot. Yeah, that's uh, definitely White Wolf, and those are also fun. Uh, if you've never played, yeah. I highly recommend it. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about D&D Next, and I think we're actually going to get some interesting reactions. I just finished up DMing two sessions for these guys uh, in the Legacy of the Crystal Shard adventure that is currently the Encounter season right now, and we had a lot of fun. But let's start at the very beginning, and let's talk about character creation And let's talk about rolling ability scores. So in 4th edition, we did a lot of point by. You have the option of point by in D&D Next. However, it recommends rolling ability scores as the default. And I think that is what all of you did. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we talk a little bit about this? Because I know there were some varied experiences across you three. (laughs) (laughs) I had the the beautiful shining side of the coin where I rolled 
and I rolled beautifully. Uh, I was very happy with it. I got a 17, and, and my lowest was a 9, but most of them were right around uh, 13 or something like that. But on top of the plus 1 to all ability scores from humans, I had a very stacked ability set. <laughs> it didn't save me in the end, James, but uh, <laughs> I was... Uh, I was really happy with how those came out, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I remember when I first started with second edition that we did, pretty sure we did, uh, we rolled up our ability scores. And I think that's one of the most fun things of character creation to me, uh, because there's kind of that risk that it's going to go wrong. I think, speaking of going wrong, um, we should probably talk to Andrew Timmes. And we should mention, Ray, you were rolling up a human cleric. Um, who, despite his great ability scores, it was kind of downhill from there for. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but Andrew Timmes, why don't you give us the other side of the coin about rolling for ability scores? All right. So uh, in fourth ed, uh, I, you know, went ahead and did a lot of point by because with a more established system like fourth ed, it was you know, a little more mature. People had kind of a better idea of the capabilities of different characters. And then you go on the character optimization forums and people are talking about the math all over the place. So I was in fourth ed, I was very much a fan of, you know, this is, this is your array. You put your 18 in your highest score, your 15 in your, your secondary, and then everything else falls, you know, flows out of that. And the other, you know, the other stats don't really matter as much. So I was, very interested to see what would happen with uh, rolling, especially because it, it was going to give me an idea of what kind of you know what kind of system it was. If it was you know optimization heavy, or if you could play around with it a little bit. Uh, much to my chagrin, I rolled a 16, 15, 13, 8, 6, 4. <laughs> so I, I'm currently playing a dwarven rogue with four constitution, uh, which. Uh, you know, in in retrospect, I, I was talking to uh, my cousin Stephen, who was a big, you know, I guess my my nerd inspiration. He was the the guy who got me into Magic: The Gathering when I was a kid, and it was you know all downhill from there. And he was like, "Oh, well, you you rolled those in order, right?" And I was like, "No, I, I had <laughs> I I specifically chose Khan as my dump stat because it it felt like like the most fun role playing choice. I guess he is you know alive." Probably through an equal mixture of the grace of the dwarven gods and his own cunning, I guess. It, it has been interesting role-playing a dwarf who counterplays a lot of the, you know, standard dwarven tropes in a very accidental and quantitative fashion. I think the 15 that I rolled actually went into my charisma because I was like, this seems like the hardest place to put, you know, my next highest ability. Which I'm pretty sure, uh, Mr. if I'm wrong here, James, he's the only one with a positive charisma modifier in a party. Is that right? No. (laughs) No. And that actually, that brings me to to Kaner, I think, Um, because Kaner, you rolled ability scores for the first time in, in years as well. I did. And I, I kept up my streak of getting awesome rolls. Uh, <laughs> actually, it might have been one of my best <clears throat> ability set of rolls ever. Um, my lowest was a 12. And, <laughs> and I'm uh, playing a human druid, so I got plus one to everything. So um, that really worked out well. It made me very happy because I've only ever played one character that had a single-digit charisma 
so I always like to make sure uh, I can I can talk just as smoothly as I can fight. Um, so uh, I'm, I I I like rolling the scores. Um, that's how I you know that's what I did when I started playing. So it feels very comfortable to me. Um, I do think it's fun. Kind of the points that Timez was making though, which is depending on what your roles are. You can make a lot of interesting choices depending on how you want to role play your character. We've been playing a lot of fourth edition recently. So how do you feel about the lethality of combat in Next? It certainly raises the stakes a little bit, especially at first level. I feel like the, uh, you know, it's much easier to die as it were. Um, and Ray, last night, your character actually did end up uh, getting surprised. And, sure did, James. <laughs> uh, and you were beheaded um, by a fellow party member who was not under the control of himself. He was dominated by an object you guys... Let's not say why. Let's not say why. I don't want to spoil it for anyone playing Icewind Dale. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but how do you guys feel about that lethality-wise? Um, you feel a little more, especially at level one, compared to fourth edition, you feel a little more like regular guys than you do like superheroes. And is that something you like? Is that something you dislike? Uh, Ray, why don't we start with you since you are the one who yeah. bought it? Yeah, in general, I do like it. I like that the lethality is there. Uh, my beef with it, I guess, and this is the first session that we played, I used my two daily spells almost immediately. Uh, and the problem with that was, you know, for the rest of the campaign, I thought, okay, uh, I just got to do my cantrips now, like basically at Will's, uh, the fourth edit book one. Uh, so on this next session that we were playing, my thought was to try and keep my dailies uh, for a little bit longer. So when I went down to two HP, I thought, okay, I won't heal because this battle's just about over. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's cool because it's more to think about like, okay, how am I going to really, really ration out these heals, uh, these spells. But at the same time, it's, uh, I don't know. I am super biased and bitter about how it turned out. Uh, so in print or in theory, I like the lethality. In practice, I despise it. <laughs> there are some optional healing modules that maybe we can plug in and try if people aren't having fun with, with what they have now. Um, Kaner, what do you think about the lethality uh, and and sort of the how that also affects the pace of combat? Because it's just as easy for the bad guys to die as it is for the PCs. Absolutely. I mean, I think particularly in our last session, I really took note of the speed at which, you know, in, you know, our last uh, campaign in, in Fori, uh, we, you just had a little more time to kind of think about what you were going to do. And I'm also coming off of, you know, my last character was a level 30 sorcerer. And so kind of what you had to play with, you had a lot more going on, obviously, at level 30. So it's the double-edged sword of readjusting to not being a superhero anymore, and then even more so, things being a little more fast-paced, and what can happen to you can happen in much more quickly. And that's what I think I I like about it. I mean, I think about the fact that in our, in our, in our last campaign, we had a moment where we all got pretty close to death uh, as a result of a very large explosion, but it took a lot to get us to that point. 
Whereas in this, I think not as much needs to happen for the a, a character or the whole party to suddenly kind of your future is very much in the balance when it comes to living or dying. Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially on the options front. Uh, a sorcerer at level 30 in 4th edition has many more options than a first level druid. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. So, Timis, talk to me a little bit about the differences between playing a level 30 sword mage or warlock in 4th edition, or even a level 1 sword mage or warlock, if you can remember back that far, mm-hmm. and a level 1 rogue in D&D Next, because you do have far less options in combat as a rogue, according to the standard rules currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think it's unfair to compare, you know, playing a level 30 warlock in 4th ed with playing a first level anything in any any other system. You know, the, the, the combat seems a lot more streamlined, especially at low levels. I mean, as a rogue, you know, in 4th edition, I would have, you know, one or more at-wills and then a daily already. So I, I have different options. And then... then first you know two or three levels are kind of spent in fourth edition getting you acquainted with that in D next you know i my options right now as a first level rogue are i throw a dart at someone or i hide or you know do something else to interact with the environment which in its which the environments of themselves become more important in that respect because if you are designing a campaign, you want to create an environment where, you know, interacting with the environment is as important as taking your standard action. Whereas, you know, in fourth edition, you had the move minor standard sort of, you had a mishmash of abilities and then your opportunity action and then whatever immediate and free actions you had. So it doesn't feel like I have a wide array of choices, but because not because every round flows faster with the sense of you know everyone can take their actions without necessarily being afraid of being interrupted or you know everyone doesn't have to be a hundred percent vigilant during other people's turns for what their abilities are. They can kind of enjoy the other players' actions more, and then once their turn comes up, they know all right, I've got. Three different options. When it comes back around to your turn so quickly, people feel more free to try things that they'll fail at. And the other thing is you feel free doing things like taking a double move um, because you know it's going to come back around to you to, to be your turn again. So taking a double move doesn't feel like a waste story-wise, cinematically, gameplay-wise. Uh, I think another thing that is really speeding up combat and granted again this could just be more the difference of we're coming off level 30 and going to level one there have been no statuses uh so far that i've noticed and that was another thing where you're constantly wondering like oh do i need to bother we're doing this to this guy can he do this can i do this uh because we everyone would have like five statuses on them at any given time uh, and right now it's kind of a clean slate uh, always you know what you're looking at what you're dealing with Sure, and there definitely are still statuses. I know when we Mm -hmm. were playing Intoxicated is one of the new statuses, (laughs) and we did have an intoxicated uh, half-orc fighter at one point. But the rules for that were also very simple. He had disadvantage on pretty much everything, and there was another mechanic that didn't apply to him because he doesn't cast spells. 
And I, I like that. I think you're going to find that a lot of the mechanics, uh, particularly because of the advantage-disadvantage mechanic, also speed up combat. Because rather than trying to figure out bonuses and then, but this guy, he's prone and I'm using a ranged attack, so I take minus two to hit him. But <laughs> at the same time, he's dazed, so I've combated, you know, and, and trying to negotiate that math um, and then saying three turns past your own, oh, wait, would a 45 have hit? Um, you, know, <laughs> you don't run into those sorts of issues either because... Uh, because of this advantage-disadvantage mechanic. Granted, cover still gives you a bonus to AC. There's still a few things that grant bonuses because it doesn't make sense uh, to give someone full outright disadvantage or full outright advantage. Um, But those are fewer and further between, and I think that those are speeding things up as well. In 5th Ed, it seems like the things you can do give you bonuses to damage and... You know, you get advantage or disadvantage based on your tactics, but all the modifiers are strictly defined in the rules, and you will never get more as it goes on. So, overall, guys, what are your what are your major likes and dislikes of combat? Kainer, why don't we start with you? Sure. I mean, I think the word that's already been used, I think both by Ray and Timez and yourself, that I think really applies here is the streamlining. Um, uh, I think... I think we're particularly for our group of players, we're a group of players that really likes the role-playing aspect of the game just as much as combat. Some of us probably don't even really like combat. So I think um, the, the, the fact that it's become a little more streamlined and more sped up leaves more opportunities for the other aspects of the game to really, um, really come out in certain ways uh, that maybe didn't happen if you got really bogged down in a in a complex battle. Um, with that said, you know, I did really like, uh, in fourth edition, like, uh, as we've said, the, the interrupts, the, the reactions and stuff, I liked those. They were cool. But again, when you were in kind of a protracted battle, suddenly you were kind of, it just became very cumbersome. And so I, I do like the, the streamlining and the speed that we've experienced so far. Uh, back when we were transferring from second ed to third ed, I remember my DM complaining a lot and saying that they were kind of dumbing the game down. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> I think that's happening again here. Uh, the difference being, I, 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 dumbing it down is judgmental, but uh, <laughs> simplifying it. And yeah, you keep saying streamlining it, but basically making combat smoother so you can get back to role playing, uh, which in theory I think makes a lot of sense. But when they streamline second ed into third, uh, I think they took away a lot of needless complexities, uh, which to me is absolutely what you should be doing anytime you're updating a game. And I thought they did a great job of that in that update. From fourth to fifth, the way that they are making things a lot smoother, I think you're, I think you're losing a lot more than you lost uh, from that two to three transition. So I, I don't know. I, I played a fighter the first time we went level one to 30, and I absolutely loved playing that character in combat. I mean, I, I loved him outside of combat as well. But just the things I could do uh, inside of combat, I, I can't think of any other game that I would have been able to do those kind of combinations and set stuff up like that and combine attacks with other players. Uh, so I don't expect to be able to play like that in 5th edition when it finally gets finalized. Uh, so for that reason, I do not like Next as much as 4th Ed uh, by a lot. 
Well, and I think you'll see a little bit more of that as we get into higher level. The fighter is not back to the third edition sword swinging, getting lots right, of bonus right. feats kind of guy. I'm sure it won't be that big of a step backwards, but I think that fourth ed was a huge step forward. Maybe not as much for uh, for spellcasters and stuff, but for fighters, I think it was a huge, great step forward they made. Uh, and I, I think we are going to lose a, a, good, a good amount on it, I think. What do you have to say to people who say that the fourth edition fighter was just the same as the fourth edition wizard and was just the same as it, he became a spellcaster because he had so many ridiculous abilities? Uh, I mean, it's, I don't know. I can't entirely disagree because they did have a ton of ridiculous abilities, but why should they not? Uh, I think anyone playing, you know, picking their class at first level. They're not like, okay, I don't want to think too much about combat, so I'll be a fighter. I don't think that's the motivation behind someone wanting to be a fighter. I think you still want a ton of options. You just want to be you know, a beefed-up guy that gets in the middle of uh, combat. I mean, I've always wanted to be a beefed-up guy. Uh, maybe that's just... <laughs> maybe I'm uh, revealing too much here. Uh, but I don't, think, I don't think that the choice to become a fighter class should limit your options at all. I think it was awesome that, you know, maybe... And this character that I'm talking about, uh, a lot of his abilities were similar in nature, but they could be strung together. So if you were actually watching a fight, if it was a real thing that was occurring, it wouldn't look like the fighter had these amazing powers. It would just look like he was a great brawler. But the way that the functionality was, I did have a lot of options. So I think that it still fits into that dynamic where the wizard can do maybe crazier stuff, but it doesn't make the fighter less fun to play. Uh, and Timez, do you have any final likes or dislikes? You know, in, in terms of paring down D&D from 4th Ed to 5th, they got rid of a lot of things and went back to that old kind of 2nd edition aesthetic without really, without a good, without a, I guess, you know, we're, we're not getting the ideas expressed to us because we're not sitting in Watsi headquarters, wherever that may be, but... It seemed like 4th edition brought a lot of good things to a lot of classes that hadn't seen it, and that or seen options like that in a long time, and Next is kind of paring those down for, you know, mechanical reasons that I don't quite understand yet. I might figure them out later as we go further, but I'm afraid of being the you know, non-supernatural ranged class that doesn't end up getting as, you know, I do more damage now and I'm, you know, if, if I don't roll a four in con, I'm sturdier than my wizard counterpart. But, you know, 10 levels from now, he's going to have far more options than I will. One of the big flexibilities that I really like is being able to take the action in the middle of a move. Because... Yeah, Especially as a ranged character, if, if your team is controlling the space of a bottleneck, it allows you, A, not only to survive better while still being able to affect the combat by dashing in and out, but it also puts a greater emphasis on controlling that space. Because if your melee front lines have to fall back for whatever reason, if they, you know one of them dies, or so on and so forth, your ranged characters can no longer kind of run up and attack freely. They have to 
you know, make the conscious choice to, you know, throw a dart and then run away and then put themselves, make themselves vulnerable to a double move. Or, you know, there, there's a lot more precise spacing that is possible with that. And, you know, with, you know, with a, a 30 foot move speed, you know, thinking completely linear, linearly, you can also make the choice of, well, do I want to stay three squares away from my max range and then kind of dash in and out the same distance every turn? Or do I want to take every other turn and go four in, two out, and then two in, four out so that I am half of the time I am able to chase down the enemy ranged a little better or alternately every other turn I can run away a little bit better if you think the fight is you know going to if the fight is a little more uncertain and you want to keep both options open more often when you only have four con you don't want to get too close yeah. <laughs> uh, guys let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor noblenight.com Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right, guys. So I want to talk real fast uh, about magic in uh, D&D Next. We're, uh, we're working with this Vancian magic system. And Tim, as even though you're not playing a magic-using character, you can feel free to weigh in here. Um, and a plethora of non-combat spells have been brought back. Uh, we haven't really touched on those too much yet. Um, but I'm wondering uh, how you guys feel about the idea of fancy and magic. And I know that one of the rules modules Wizards is looking at putting out is, is different methods of casting spells. Um, and uh, are you happy with fancy and magic? Do you want to see something different? Ray, let's start with you because I know you feel uh, like fancy and magic is sort of what got you killed yesterday. Okay, just for our listeners at home, can we uh, say what Vancy and Magic is? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, not, not that I don't know what it is, but I would love to hear you. <laughs> oh, I, I definitely don't know what's referred to it. Uh, so Vancy and Magic, uh, it comes from the name of an author, and it means uh, you pr- prepare your spells each day to be cast. Oh, um, oh So So essentially all of your spells that aren't your cantrips are... are um, daily spells uh right. you know you have a certain uh, number of spells per day and you use them a uh, fourie did not have what i would consider a fancy and magic system right well here's what happened last night in our session uh we had a an extended rest we have an overnight sleep in the middle of our session and i assume this is going to happen every time i gave it about two seconds thought of hey do i want to update my spells for the day no i don't want to bother with that right now because we're still role playing uh, and i don't want to be distracted 
And I assume any time that we're taking an extended rest in the middle of a session, that's pretty much what I'm going to do unless I prepared between sessions knowing what's coming up the following day. So I dislike it uh, for that reason. I think it's a cool idea in that, hey, you know, I have these abilities uh, that are pretty uh, far-reaching. Like I have a lot of variety in my abilities, but, you know, I can't do too much in one day. Uh, I like it theoretically, but as far as it being a game, uh, I, I think that is a huge, a huge flaw where you're just not going to bother changing ever. You don't want to spend a lot of time poring over a spell list, reading spell descriptions, deciding what you're going to do, because you don't want to feel like you're slowing everybody down. Right, exactly. Uh, and so maybe that's something for me to keep in mind, too, as a DM, about where the breaks in the game should be and where those should happen. But I think it is going to occasionally be unavoidable. Um, yeah, and should be. I mean, you shouldn't be planning your sessions around when you can take an extended rest, I don't think. If we decide, if we as the players decide, hey, let's take a nap in this town, you know, 15 minutes into a session, you shouldn't, as a DM, be bound to say, all right, well, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, and you know what, and it's not just that either. If on any given day, unless it's like a boss fight that we know is coming up, or I know I'm going into this certain dungeon with these properties, I'm pretty much going to have a certain list of spells, and that's what I have for a day I know nothing about. You know what I mean? So it's probably not going to change that much in that regard. I think that's the way most people play their fancy and spellcasters. Uh, Kaner, what do you think playing a druid? Do you feel similarly? Um, I I definitely hear what Ray is saying, and I think particularly since this is a shift from what was done uh, in what we played most recently, it takes some adjustment. Um, I have played a, some kind of a spellcaster every character I've ever made except for my first character. So I feel like, <clears throat> um, I don't know, I've, I've had to deal with this in different ways since I've played in different editions. Um, and I, I, do, I do agree that it does take a little bit more legwork when it comes to you know, I think Ray's point is very good, where if if your extended rest is happening in the, in the middle of the game, you're going to probably say to yourself, oh, these were the spells I was going with before. I'll just stick with those instead of thinking about it. Um, my method for that, which I'm not expecting anyone else to do, is um, I kind of, I read over all the spells within the level that's available to me, and then I have, I narrowed down from that the list of spells that I will feel like I as a player will likely use at any point and I have that list and then when like an extended rest comes up I look at that list as the spells I've already identified as ones I might like and then say okay I already know what those do I'm gonna choose these as my prepared spells um but when I'm but that is a lot of preparation but right now we're dealing with level one where you have two spells you know, I have two spells per day, and the list isn't giant, so it's easy, but suddenly as you move on and on, that's going to become more difficult, and I think, Ray, your point is very good, which is you're going to kind of have a set list of spells that is your go-to, these are my prepared yeah. spells. And um, I think if you do change a lot, too, it's going to be frustrating, because I, I know whenever, like in 4th Ed, when we level up and we would change our encounters or something like that, if there was ever a situation where I was like, oh, I have a perfect encounter for this, I'm glad I can use it now. And then I'll look and think, oh, I retooled that. Uh, you know, I got rid yeah. of that at this level. 
I feel like if I had a good handle on everything I could do, if I had all of my spells available to me, right, it would just be constant frustration on, oh, this is the perfect time to use this, but I don't have it prepared today. That's a fair point. I, I also think it, I mean, if you want to talk about kind of the integrity of the game, if you, you could also, you know, if, if you weren't playing honestly, you could, which I don't like about this aspect, you could say, oh yeah, I had that spell prepared, even if right. you didn't. Whereas I like kind of the idea of the spells you have or the spells you have, which is what happens mm -hmm. when you selected your level, you know, your level 14 encounter spell or whatever uh, in the last edition. And that's what you went with from there on out. Yeah. And Although I do like, again, uh, sorry to go on so long, but with the kind of the, the Vantian system we're talking about, it is reminiscent, although, of, you know, when you had to, when you got a higher level spell and you had to choose one to swap out with, I mean, again, mm -hmm. it's not exactly the same because that was a permanent change, whereas one day you could prepare these spells, the next day you could do that. But it does leave in that kind of, oh, I really liked that, but this might be better, so I'm going to go in that direction. Yeah. You know, we're talking about how great the fast combat is. If suddenly you have access to 20 levels of spells and you're like, like oh, I think there's something in there for this, uh, yeah, okay. then the risk is going to be there that you want to dig through the entire spell list. Sure. And I think I think that's a great point, especially as they add spells as supplements come out. Yeah, things yeah. Like that. Yeah. Well, let me just look in uh, Dragon Magazine 426. I think there's something for this. <laughs> <laughs> I also think the, the whole idea of cantrips being at Will's solves a, a couple of my issues, which was whenever you played a wizard in 3-5 or, or second, you would run out of spells and then you would be using your crossbow. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> especially at lower levels. And I think it if, if you're playing a wizard, it's because you want to be using magic, and I like that you have that option to continue to use magic throughout the day um, with yeah. those level zeros. I will be interested to see uh, uh, an alternative system um, just because I think Vancian works nicely gameplay wise I think it it isn't uh, um, except for this guy's novels and the novels on, based in the Dungeons and Dragons universes um, you don't really see that method of magic in other fantasy you know that's not how Gandalf cast spells it's not how the Harry Potter crew cast spells um, right. so I think for flavor purposes i would always like to see something else as well and i thought fourth edition handled that kind of magic very well and interestingly mm -hmm. um you know and it was it had its roots in Vancian systems uh so it, i'll just be interested to see just uh moving on quickly here guys what do you uh think about the idea of uh, uh some of the new rules so far i think some of the big changes we've seen are in skills um do you guys like that it's kind of ability checks are king and that's where all of the math is sort of going to be derived from? And then if you have a skill, it's just a nice little bonus, but you don't need to be trained or proficient in a skill for to succeed at a task. Um, do you think that's interesting? Uh, and uh, Kaner, let us know. Uh, I do think it's interesting. I do. I I personally like the... The skills are an added bonus, but you can still do things uh, without the skill. Um, I, I just, uh, I, I, as a as a player who 
when there's a lot, I, I hate to put it in these terms, but when there's a lot of math, I get kind of bogged down in it all. And then I lose focus on kind of the bigger stuff happening in the game. I like it when it's, uh, again, for me, um, to use the term streamlining again, I, I like that it's a little more streamlined in that regard. Um, but that's just kind of my viewpoint of the, I, I just happen to like that, that way of doing it. Yeah. I didn't find the fourth ed really cumbersome with skills. I thought it was usually pretty straightforward where, especially if you have an actual character sheet in front of you, you just kind of look at what it is. Uh, maybe for stealth, you think, okay, do I have foot pads that I can use in this situation? But for the most part, uh, I think then as now was pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, you know, I like both systems. I don't think I, there's a problem with either one. So I, I like the fact that it's a, a little simpler um, and that there are fewer gameplay, uh, fewer combat mechanics that depend on those uh, magic check or those, I guess, specifically arcana checks for mages. I like the idea when ability checks are king, it makes people more likely to try something because they know, okay, I don't need to be a trained climber to try to climb up a cliff. I just need to be strong, which for the most yeah. part should work. If it's a ridiculous cliff, then yes, you should be proficient in climbing. You know, if you're climbing right. the cliffs of insanity from the Princess Bride... You better be proficient, <laughs> but if you're just climbing up a, a, you know, hopping a wall or something, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, but it right. doesn't matter how much climbing experience you have, James. You can never climb Lovecraft's Mountains of Madness. <laughs> no, don't even try. You'll go insane. <laughs> no, you will. You'll start climbing backwards and you'll be confused. <laughs> and I, I, you know, it brings me to another point, which is that would be like an epic level challenge. We have this bounded accuracy system in D&D Next, which is the idea that 20 AC is always going to be a very high AC. The DC of 20 for a task is a high difficulty class for that task. And yes, your proficiency bonus goes up slowly as you level, and that means you will get better at things like picking locks. The locks won't suddenly become abyssal dire locks, that, you know, um, are from the demonic uh, abyss and only the most clever person can unlock them. Do you guys like that idea that uh, the challenges don't necessarily scale with you? There are going to be things. Monsters will deal out more damage um, and, and they're going to have more hit points. So they might be harder to kill. Um, but you're not necessarily going to face that frustration of, uh, I always have a 70% chance to hit a monster no matter what. Uh, I don't think it ever came down to me. Uh, maybe I just wasn't doing the math well enough, but I never thought of it like that where I, you know, I only have this percent chance. Uh, and I think part of the fun, I remember as in the first campaign we went through when Alex Basso was playing Garrick, it was always fun when he would hit a new like when he first hit 40 or when he first hit 50 on an attack roll. Uh, I always thought that was really exciting. Uh, so I will miss that a little bit. But I also think it makes a lot of sense flavor-wise. I mean, if you can think about game mechanics having flavor, uh, to always have, you know, trying to stab a guy is going to be a similar AC check. I think it makes sense. But I will, a small part of me will mourn 
seeing Alex roll 50s and 60s. <laughs> well, <and laughs> for me as the DM, it definitely makes things simpler. I know that a hard task mm-hmm. is a 20 DC, a moderate task is 15, and an easy is 10. Yeah, and, and that's what I was just thinking while you were talking. That it, sorry, it probably will, the biggest impact will be on the DM, not so much on the players with the bounded accuracy right. system. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I... Th- from my perspective, I also think it makes sense. Like your characters are leveling up, they're evolving. And so I think it makes sense that there will be challenges that they face, but they're also getting better at the things that they can do. And that doesn't automatically mean the things around them should automatically get harder. Um, so I think it makes sense uh, that it works that way. Um, I'm kind of torn. Uh you know, I, I do, I did enjoy the, you know, the, the inflation of numbers and being able to see bigger and bigger numbers as our fourth ed characters <laughs> grew up from, you know, hero into Paragon into Epic. But one of the side effects of that is that optimization of two hit scores becomes much more important in, in terms of mm-hmm. building a character. So if you have a player who isn't necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the example of one of our character, one of our other players in our fourth ed campaign came to, you know, level 20 something and realized he was still using a plus two staff, <laughs> uh, which, you know, at the time he should have been using at least a plus five or a plus six based on the projected treasure scale. I mean, that, that plus three, Give, would it, because there wasn't a mechanic in fourth ed to kind of fix the you know probability of hitting someone like there sensibly is in, in next, it was harder for him to keep up in terms of efficiency of hitting enemies. If you would like to talk about advantage, please, uh, you did make a very impressive chart that I would actually <laughs> like to link to this podcast. So. I'll talk to Jason yeah, and we'll make it happen. Absolutely. Um, but the, the, you know, elevator version of that is basically plus two advantage in fourth ed was always just kind of a plus 10% modifier to hit. Whereas in, so if you had one character you always had advantage and another who had disadvantage, it'd be a 60% to hit versus a 40% to hit for the advantage and disadvantage character. So that's a three to two. Mm-hmm. But with uh, uh, advantage in next at you know eleven AC, which I figured is the average uh, difficulty, advantage has seventy five percent to hit, and disadvantage has twenty five percent. So that's a three to one, which is a much bigger a much bigger deal, and and, and it kind of links into the whole uh, idea like I was talking about before or where I pay a lot more attention to tactics and battle because advantage is such a, a much bigger swing in next than it was in fourth ed. And it kind of tapers off as the, the difficulties go up, which I thought was interesting as well. But uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Okay, guys. Well, I think uh, that's going to do it for today. Um, right. Where can people find you, Andrew Kane? Uh, feel free to uh find me on uh the twitter uh i'm at, at cavalier kane uh, at k-a-v-a-l-i-e-r k-a-n-e prepare to be astounded 
And Ray Fallon, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at facebook.com slash gold duck. You know, if they want to chat, just uh, just send me a message. Let me know what your favorite Smallville episode is. <laughs> and if we're on the same page, uh, I'll add you as a friend. And uh, Andrew Timmes, ladies and gentlemen, cannot be found on the internet. I've got a very Edward Snowden thing going on in that regard. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso and check out my new blog, which is all about the fifth edition world I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Andrew Timmes, Andrew Kane, and Ray Fallon. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us into the Tone Show lineup. Our theme music was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. You can also leave us a comment about the show on the Tome's website. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the Tome Show. 